Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Huntink. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I'll just reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and you can find our work all over the internet and in some print publications. In fact, Ben, I'm going to ask you to plug a couple of publications that you've written, recently written for. You can find my work at Driving Line, at Haggerty Classic Car, and at Inside Hook. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, as well as Nouveau Magazine. And before we get started on today's uh, content. Ben, I would love it if you could plug the graphic novel that you've been working on. Go. Yeah, so I'm currently offering issues one through three of my graphic novel Code 45 on Kickstarter. Uh, Code 45 is a book about a woman who is a metro driver in Montreal, and she discovers there's this world of uh, subterranean parties, raves, and dragons living underneath the city streets. And she can't gradually, she gets so sucked into this world, she can't tell what's real and what's not anymore. And her coworkers are in a similar situation where they're so terrified of what they've seen in the, in the tunnels, they start self-medicating just to get through their shifts, which means, are they seeing hallucinations or are they seeing reality? Uh, it's kind of up to the reader in a lot of cases. In any case, the book, like I said, is available right now. You can go to www.code-45.com. It's on Kickstarter and we're actually doing very well. We have three weeks left in the project, but uh, early in 2021, we're going to be published in retail stores by Scout Comics. So we're using Kickstarter to raise money for the art and the production costs associated with the book. And uh, we've already had successful funding for issue one, which went out in March. And now we're offering issues one through three, with issue two and three being like together in a big mega issue that's 52 pages long. So www.code-45.com and you can check out cool dragon hallucinatory comic book. Awesome. I can't wait uh, to hear more about it. And uh, we'll, we'll probably plug the podcast. I mean, we'll plug the, uh, your Kickstarter a few more times, the podcast. But let's get talking about some cars, Ben. What do you think? Okay, sounds good. Now, I like when you it, take charge, Sammy. I like when you tell me what we're going to talk about. Yeah, to, right now, immediately after the sentence, we're going to talk about cars, colon, including the BMW X7 that you drove. Go. So <laughs> I, I first drove the X7, I want to say it was a year ago, on perhaps the worst road trip of all time, where we, oh. uh, it was BMW put this thing together where they decided to drive the X7 across the United States, mm-hmm. which is a cool idea. But the way they did it was it was very, very carefully scheduled, which is no surprise given it's BMW. Um, but, and because it was so tightly scheduled, they kind of just kept to the interstates. So the leg of the journey that I drove was from Florida to Louisiana. And it was honestly a straight line <laughs> at highway speeds for, I want to say, six hours. Like, that's, that's really all it took. Um <laughs> It was cool because I'd never been to Louisiana before. I'd never been to Mississippi. So those were two new states for me. But uh, in terms of driving, I didn't really get a chance to dynamically test anything in the vehicle. It was a lot of a lot of what we were able to check out were things like features, you know, uh, cruise control, self-driving stuff, the comfort of the vehicle, and general straight line speed. So... Um, flash forward to now, Sammy, and I have a 2020 BMW X7 M50i, which is a model that didn't exist at the time I was at the launch. Okay, and that's very important because the, uh, what did you call M60 or M50? M50. M50. M60 is just a legend, Sammy. It's not a real thing. I I was getting excited. I was trying to slip it in there. Um, M50... (laughs) 
a, a, tell me about what makes the M50 so special. Is this just a, you know, um, a couple of trim pieces that make it look more sporty or something? No, so BMW has installed the M Performance Twin Turbo Technology Package in the M50. That's what they call it, the brand name for it. So it's still the same engine. It's the 4.4 liter V8 with a with the twin turbo. But it has 523 horsepower and 553 pound-feet of torque. So that's almost 70 horsepower more than the, uh, the 50i, the standard version with the V8. And it's another okay. 74 pound-feet of torque. Ooh, okay. So, did you, and you, first of all, I remember the the X7 to feel pretty, actually pretty aggressive off the line, if uh, if my memory serves me right. I bet you the extra horsepower and torque um, does not go unnoticed. It's it's remarkably quick. Uh, so the the base uh, X7 with the with the six cylinder engine, it'll do five point four seconds to sixty. That's so good for a big three row SUV. Oh That's yeah, Sammy, so but wait, there, but wait, there's more. The okay. the X Drive 50, which is the standard V8, can do it in 5.2. <laughs> so like you're like, oh, I paid a whole bunch of money and I got a V8, but it's only 0.2 seconds faster. Okay, well then what you really want is the M50 because it does it in four and a half seconds. Jeez. <laughs> and I, I need to really reiterate, this is a mountain of a vehicle. This yeah. thing is absolutely enormous. And I don't mean enormous like ponderous. I just mean it's <laughs> it's big. Um and it has the version of the car that I had, I'm sure it's standard, has full air suspension so you can raise it and lower it. And actually, it looks really good when it's dropped down low, like it's kind of stanced. Um, and what's interesting about the air system is the BMW X7 has that, I don't know, want to call it controversial, but it's the split tailgate, Sammy. Do you know what I'm talking right. about? I do know this. And it's kind of, I think it's something that you see in Range Rover um, models as well, where like half the tailgate lifts up and the other half folds down. Right? Yeah. So the way, the reasoning I've heard for this is that if you're stopped somewhere and you open the tailgate, stuff won't fall out. Uh, because okay. the bottom path will stay there until you manually open it. What if we had a net that could stop that from happening? It's or it's interesting that you mentioned net technology, which is something we've had for I want to say thousands of years. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you, you're not incorrect. But the reason I mentioned the tailgate is it is kind of annoying that that thing's in the way. But on the tailgate, beside the button to open the uh, the bottom half, there's another button that if you push it will lower the back of the vehicle. So you know, right, so you have a lower uh, load floor, right? Yeah, which is useful because I mean, it might not seem like a big difference going from street stance to like lowered stance, but let's say you've been driving around with the vehicle up high, and you you I want to load street stuff. Stance as a phrase, <laughs> yeah, street stance. I'm I'm copywriting that. Okay. So it, it it will get it down pretty low, um, and pretty easy to to get things in and out. It, it, in fact, like the whole cargo area of the X7 is really well thought out. Um, it has. It has so it's a, it's a three row crossover SUV whatever, and the third row is useful. If you're an adult, you can sit there. You're not going to freak out, but most of the time you're not going to have all three rows loaded. So you're going to want to lower those seats. And you right. know some luxury crossovers and SUVs they have buttons in the back that allow you to do that right automatically. Yeah, and like sometimes they're like these spring loaded seats that you press them and it's like yeah, it's like a catapult. <laughs> yeah, they fold like super, like they just crush anything there. And then yeah. other times they're like these really slow motors that you have to hold the button down for, like what feels like ages. So, so it's. I'm glad that you mentioned the spring loaded thing because the biggest <laughs> problem I've always had with those kinds of seats is it depends on the position of the second row. Right. It's like if the second row is if someone was leaning back and like they have the seat back a little bit and the, the third row springs forward and hits it, 
it can yeah. just wedge itself in there, and you you might not be able to get it all the way down, and you might have to walk around to the front of the car and then fiddle around with the middle row and do. It's oh, basically so inconvenient. Well, if you're if you're paying like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars or whatever it is for for a vehicle, you don't want to have to do that. Who who wants to walk if you bought a truck? So, oh. what I liked about the X Seven mm-hmm. is the buttons that put the seat down in the third row, also move the second row out of the way in the process. Oh, wicked. What? So it pushes it. It knows where the second row is, and if it's in the way, it tilts it forward or slides it forward. Imagine you're sitting in those second second row seats while that's happening. (laughs) Well, I'm sure there's some kind of sensor. Um, There is a vehicle I was in, though, where there wasn't a sensor. I think it was, oh, it was another BMW convertible where if you, you could put the top down while someone was sitting in the back. But, like, if they had their arms over the little clamshell, yeah. <laughs> it was scary. It was really okay. scary. And, it, like, <laughs> crush hazard scary. Uh, that 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 thinking, that convenience thinking applies to the second row, too. Because to get to the third row, there's obviously a button that slides the, the second row forward so that okay. you can make the space. But that will move the driver and passenger seat up front forward, too, if they're in the way. Wow. Okay. So it's a full solution. It's, it's like... I know that you don't necessarily like large SUVs like this, like large luxury SUVs. But what I appreciated about the X7 was all of this detail work that really made me think like I was driving something special, that someone had thought about all of these things. Instead of just making a bigger X5, mm-hmm. it, it really felt like its own vehicle. Now, I want to go. I want you to go back to where you said, I don't like large luxury SUVs like this. And it's not – It's what you're saying isn't – um, isn't untrue. I sometimes feel that these large SUVs are just there to fill um, some space in the in the lineup, and they're never fully thought out. They're either extended wheelbase versions of the smaller vehicle, or they're just a, a third row tacked in there. And the X5 used to be able. To, I think the X5 used to be able to get with a third row. Yeah, it had like a vestigial. And third it was row. so useless. Right. It was like the one in the Range Rover uh, Sport. Sport. Is the same right. kind of deal. And uh, I'm glad – what makes me appreciate these vehicles, especially a luxury car that costs uh, over $100,000, is when they think up these small little details. And they have to make it worth it. It can't just be the badge that does the the work for the for the company. It needs to be a product that, that's actually useful. And having those little details, be it um, buttons that move the, the seating around in order for the seats to fold properly – um, lowering uh, a lowering system to help uh, loading things into the vehicle easier, or you know, very soon it's probably just going to have like a drone or a, a Canada arm to reach over and put thing, put your groceries in the car for you. So I don't know about a drone or a Canada arm. <laughs> um, it, it's uh, it, 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 okay, it, but the other thing is about these uh, BMWs, especially when you reach up there in price, they start like we've mentioned. They've had a lot of gimmicks, right? Yeah, so I mean, if you want to talk gimmicks, right. let's let's be honest about the fact that this is an M vehicle that weighs thousands and thousands of pounds. Like it's it's super heavy, it's really big. Uh, but BMW, like they went whole hog. Like, it has it has an M Sport differential. <laughs> uh, if you put it in sport, Why? Mo- yeah, well, you know, for traction. If you put it in sport mode, it drops the car almost an inch. Okay, um, it's got different. All the whole suspension has been retuned. It's got twenty two inch wheels. And it has, like, a mild M Sport performance package. Okay, so, talk to me about these wheels. 22 inches, um, that that sounds to me an un- like an uncomfortable ride. 
Well, and they're run flat tires too. Oh, it wasn't, geez. but it was not uncomfortable. This car, it for all of its sporting really? pretensions, this thing felt every inch a luxury vehicle. I didn't feel like I was being forced into a big truck with stiff springs that someone created to fill the niche, like you were talking about before. It, it as silly as it is for a vehicle like this to be performance oriented. That's kind of BMW's jam. That's how they try to stand out when compared to Mercedes-Benz, for example. And so it has to be there. They, they have to have that tier. But that that tier of performance did not compromise everything else about the X7 that I already liked, which really surprised me. Okay, so talk to me about what you really liked about the X7. It's a, From what I remember, the cabin is really gorgeous. It's a really plush cabin um, that reminded me a lot of what makes BMW, of BMW's, like, executive sedans that are really like special well like i said before i really like the details in the in the mm-hmm. functionality and the features but you're not wrong about the cabin it is gorgeous uh it, it's nice because for a while i felt like the 7 series sedan had fallen off in terms of being able to keep up yeah i actually the moment i said that i'm like eh, the 7 series is kind of not that special someday <laughs> it's it's better now Yes. But uh, the X7, I think, is a better overall experience in terms of if all you care about is passenger transportation, if you don't mm-hmm. care about uh, driving performance. The X7 is going to be enough vehicle for 90% of people who have this kind of budget for a daily driver. Okay, I don't think – because so much about the German luxury sedans, the high-end sedans, S-Class, 7 Series, A8, those are meant to be chauffeured, right? Right. So it's the, the X7 doesn't have that chauffeuring feel. Which is a little strange, you know, like suddenly it's the driver's SUV, even though it's mm-hmm. not. But uh, it's just so comfortable. It, it it really gives you this insulated feel from the world, while at the same time keeping you somewhat connected to the driving experience. You've got a lot of pretty decent um, self-driving technology if you're into that kind of thing. Like, it'll follow along traffic ahead of you fairly well. I had a couple instances where it would surge ahead in slower traffic. Uh, and I had to intervene just because traffic situation was changing a lot. But right. generally, BMW's system is pretty good. Uh, it has a great sound system. iDrive worked very well uh, the entire time I had it. I didn't really have any complaints. What? Yeah. If, even the uh, un, unexpected gestures? Ah, I think someone turned them off because I did not have any issues. <laughs> They've heard the podcast, obviously, and they turned it off before you got in it. So as, um, as boring as that road trip was that I took in the X7, X, uh, X7 M Drive... I don't even X Drive 50i is that what it was called? I think so. So as as boring as that drive was, it was still very comfortable, and I felt fresh at the end of it. Uh, in the M50 version of the car, all of that is still there, plus crazy acceleration if you want it, and you know the the kind of low fuel mileage it, that comes along with all of that. <laughs> uh, I have just a few more things I'd love for you to talk about. First of all, and they and they kind of they kind of go together. This is a massive vehicle. It is very, very large. And I was wondering if you noticed and if you felt uncomfortable driving it. Um, like I know, I don't mean to say like you can't drive a big truck or something, but you know, sometimes just say there it. Just are, come out and say it. Say it to no, my face. That, what I mean to say, do you ever feel like that, um, that size was a detriment while driving around the city or in, in, trying to make uh, tight turns or in a parking lot or something after, like that? After having driven that Tremor a couple oh, weeks yeah, ago, of course. This thing is way more manageable. I, I was I was actually also able to park it in, in the parking spot in front of my garage behind my house, which is relatively tight, and I didn't really have any issues. It is it is large. <laughs> There's no way around that, but it's not awkward. I would say that style-wise, I'm not a huge fan of the, X, the X7. I think it looks um, good. 
or any of the XVs. I had, I mine was like in a dark burgundy color that is one of my favorite BMW colors, and I think it look, looks fantastic. Really? Okay. Yes. Um, even though it has a ginormous grill and all that jazz? You know what? The older you get, the bigger <laughs> your grill gets, and you just learn to live with it. Of course. So how much do you think this thing costs? How big is my grill, Sammy? I'm not willing to say. I know, I know. It's not that kind of podcast. It could be, though. How much do you think this thing uh, com- costs? You know what? I don't have a, uh, I don't have a Monroni for it. Oh, but no. I, I do know it's over hundred grand. Oh, I'm sorry. The base price for it is 100595 100, Wow. So with the options I had on mine, I'm pretty confident it was 120 at least. Okay. Uh, maybe 130 Holy cow. That's a very expensive truck. Okay. Yes, but, but it, is, it, does the, sound, it yes. is the ultimate BMW truck, right? Like this is their GLS. Uh, so speaking about the GLS, I mean, when I drove the GLS about a year ago, uh, Mercedes was adamant that they, they branded it as the S-Class of SUVs. And I thought that was a bit pushing things. I'll, I've but, always taken umbrage with that classification as well. Yeah. But the way you describe the X7 um, sounds like it's possible. It's really possible for an automaker to deliver that kind of experience um, with, with a bigger vehicle, with a completely different class of vehicle, you know? Well, I, I definitely don't feel there's anything missing in the X7 that you would get in the 7 Series, except for probably very high-speed handling. Right. Uh, but with tire, you have like 315, 35 tires in the back of this X7, so not on those 22-inch rims. So, like, there's a lot of mechanical grip here. Right. Um, and I, one more thing that, um, engine, I think it's the same engine that we experienced in the X5, uh, and the X6. It's a very good engine. Like in the M50 versions of those. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's the same and, thing. And the transmission is totally pretty. It's totally competent up to the task of driving. Yes. It's too. an eight speed automatic. It's very good. I think the X5 is like 0.1 seconds faster than 60 cause it's somewhat lighter. Yes, somewhat. Okay. Um, and were there any other criticisms? Because I remember when I had the X5, I felt that the braking feel wasn't um, up to up to my standard. It's a little bit – it felt artificial at times. I have a couple criticisms. Um, the adaptive cruise control, it w- I was in stop-and-go traffic. The vehicle right. stopped. The engine cut off because of the auto start-stop. Oh, stop. yeah. And then when the traffic started moving again, the vehicle didn't move. So oh. that is unfortunate. Uh, I haven't had that happen in other BMWs. The other problem that happened with this vehicle, and this is something that I think you can program out of the BMW as the owner if you're willing to go through a lot of menus. The vehicle turns itself off when you get out of it sometimes. Right. When you don't want that to happen. And then when you get back in, you're not sure if it's on or not. (laughs) Right. Because everything's on, but the engine's not on, but you didn't turn it off. So if you hit the on button, it's it's already on. And it's confusing and annoying. Like, if I got out to, like, open a gate or if I got out to um, open the tailgate, put something in quickly and then get back inside, let's say I'm warming up the vehicle or I'm cooling it down with AC on a hot day, it'll just shut off. And I don't like that. BMW has this thing about turning on and off the vehicle. I remember in the past, I think it still does this, but if you were to turn off the car, you press the the start-stop button – and then everything – the engine shuts off, but everything else is still on. And you're like, did I turn the car off? Yeah, and then- it, it's not easy. The, the, the on or off modes on some <laughs> BMWs are puzzling. It should yeah. be the easiest thing to know whether your car is on or not. But that's not the case. So, And I think there's like t- times when you like open the door and like some of the accessories are still on. You like open and close the door and the, some of the accessories are still on. You're like looking through the window like, is yep. my car off? You have to lock it <laughs> for the radio to go off a lot of the time. It's, yeah. it, it can get real weird real fast. What is up with 
that. I, I wish I could tell you. <laughs> um, and did you have the big uh, touchscreen key that makes no sense? It's no, I didn't. Thankfully, I okay, had a regular key. That's the only key everyone needs. All right, cool. Anything else you want to add about this uh, BMW X7? Uh, no, except that I didn't expect to like it as much as I did the second time, and uh, I'm firmly in the X7 camp now. Well, I really do like both the X7 and the X5, and I found the X6, if you can get over its looks, to be pretty good, too. Uh, um, I'm I'm just I'm impressed with BMW's um, attention to detail, specifically in the model that you have. Um, fancy uh, exterior paint, gorgeous interior, some of that technology, and then the fact that they can make 22-inch wheels ride um, without making you feel everything on the road. That's pretty impressive, in my opinion. So uh, going from the X7, Sammy, what what vehicle would you like to talk about this week? So I drove uh, – I recently drove a Kia – a car that is not available in the U.S. A Canada, Whoa. A, yeah. A Canada-specific vehicle. And it's not even that wacky of an idea. It's a Kia Forte. It's called the Forte 5 GT. And so for 2020, Kia has not yet uh, brought out a hatchback version of its compact car. Um, I found that to be pretty curious, but of course the the automaker also has the Soul and the Nero to fill those kind of um, niches for their for their segment. But I drove the 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 Forte Five GT, which is considered to be the kind of high perform or I don't know about high performance. Maybe the a lukewarm hatch is the best way to describe it. Um, so it's a vehicle that has a 1.6 liter turbocharged four cylinder engine, and instead of using a CVT, it uses a dual clutch transmission. Yeah, that's uh, Hyundai Kia. Love to put that in in almost everything these days, right. especially with the small displacement turbos. Um, and I've had a, uh, first of all, one of the things I really like about uh, what Hyundai Kia do, especially Kia and their in their compact cars and in this Forte Five is they include so much technology on a relatively um, mainstream vehicle. So I have a, a car. It, it has Android Auto. It has Apple CarPlay. It also has uh, a wireless phone charger. It has, like, at least three USB ports, I think, in the car. Um, it also features uh, heated seats, vented seats, heated steering wheel. I believe it has automatic uh, headlights, It like uh, high-beam headlights. And then it has all those um, driver assistance features like lane keeping, uh, cruise, uh, adaptive cruise control, and blind spot monitoring as well. So, uh, you know, I wanted to talk, talk to you about um, just while you're mentioning USB ports, the BMW had a USB-C port in it. Only? Yeah. Well, no, it had regular ones okay. as well. But USB-C – and I think a number of manufacturers are moving to USB-C only uh, right. moving forward. The reason I know this is because we had the power go out at the house and I wanted to charge my laptop. And I thought, surely this X7 has a 110 volt power outlet. And right. it, does, it does not. <laughs> really? Not even in the trunk? No, nothing. So that oh, it, we did discover the USB-C, but yeah. Anyway. That USB-C is interesting because I think some smartphone – I think USB-C has a higher voltage rating. So you can charge your, your devices a little bit quicker with it. Yeah, and better control over the voltage too, I think. But the problem is if you don't have a um, a device with USB-C and you have to use one of these, like, converters, these adapters, they're really awkward looking. Um, these weird triangles that fit in the USB-C and then have a, a female USB port, it, they look awful and I think they can break so easily. Why so, do you hate triangles so much? You know how I feel about triangles. I, um, I guess I do now. The Forte 5 GT that I drove, uh, first of all, is a pretty attractive looking car. It It reminds me a lot of the last generation... Mazda 3 um, hatchback, which is to say it's not like um, 
it doesn't look like a total hatchback. I don't know how to describe this. Like, kind of like a notch total back hatchback, twenty four seven hatchback. Sorry, <laughs> that's an other podcast that I've been working on. Uh, it hasn't gotten off the ground yet. Have you noticed that? I don't know what to, I don't know what to do. Well, so many of these cards are like lift gate, lift backs, or kind of like the Stinger. Um, these weird, like uh, they, they look almost like a sedan, but their trunk and the rear end, like uh, the the trunk hatches. I mean, latches at. What am I trying to say? Hinges at the roof line. Total hatchback. <laughs> Total hatchback. Um, and I have to admit, um, the the headroom in this vehicle is not nearly as uh, spacious as I was hoping to be. Now, of course, these are compact cars. Um, they can't be the most accommodating things. But I do remember hatchbacks and, and compact cars having um, space for, for my head. Back and, in the day, Sammy? Like Pepperidge Farm style? No, but I swear that uh, I mean it can't be the the Corolla or the Mazda three because those are pretty cramped vehicles. Maybe the Civic hatch I'm thinking of has more headroom. You tell yes. me. Yes, that's I mean, the this vehicle's only of. available in Canada, so I haven't driven it. <laughs> what does that mean? You're in Canada. Moving on. <laughs> um, what do you think? Do you think hatchbacks have lost their their place in North America or in no, the USA? No, I don't think so. So I've... do you think? What do you think is behind Kia's business decision to to drop this? And I have to admit, the the looking at the sales number, the global sales numbers of the Forte are pretty successful. Um, and I would bet that the GT is probably a popular car in other markets. I think you're totally right about the Soul taking the place of this car in the states. I think maybe they just didn't want to confuse buyers coming to the showroom. Right. Um, and I've driven the new Soul, and it's not the—it's essentially the same, you know, like uh, powertrain in a slightly different uh, package. I'm not 100% sold on the interior quality of the of the Soul. I don't think it's it nearly as premium or high end a feeling. And I also have the because it's a Forte 5 GT. Um, Kia has included a, a little bit of the details, or maybe just one key detail. Um, that the Stinger GT has, and that's with the unique key fob. I don't know if you remember this about the the Stinger GT, but it has a key fob that has a different layout of buttons. There's like a, a almost like a thumb. It looks like a grenade. I don't know how else to describe it. Like a like a detonator. I don't remember this key fob. You don't remember this like weird detonator key fob? You hold no. this <laughs> detonator key fob. I <laughs> I think I would have remembered that. It sounds memorable. So the and I thought that was interesting because. Kia has this new design for its keys, and then a couple of vehicles that came out afterwards didn't have that that layout. So I was wondering why the Stinger was the only one that had it. But now I'm seeing it on the on the Forte 5 GT, and that kind of uh, addresses that criticism I had in the past. So there's like r- small details that make the Forte 5 GT feel a little bit more um, premium. I haven't had a, a ton of time in the car yet, but I have to admit, if for a vehicle that's tr- like th- that takes that GT name. And when you see that, you kind of expect it to be a little bit more um, sporty or aggressive. It really isn't that. And uh, it's not – I guess they're trying to keep it around the same level as the Civic Si, which isn't available as a hatchback. Um, and this car, I don't know. It feels a, it feels close to that, but not nearly as um, impressive or sporty as the Honda Civic Si. So, and what would be great is if they offered it with a manual transmission. That isn't the case here. So, I mean, if you were to place this in in comparison to its major rivals, you know, right. where does it stack up? I mean, Civic versus Corolla versus Elantra. I mean, which one are you buying? 
So I think the Civic is very good. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Civic um, in all three of its um, body uh, body styles. The problem I have is I don't think you can get that. You can't get the hatchback in the SI trim, although the Sport um, is is very good, and you can get that with a manual transmission. I think it's very well equipped. It has a re- really nice engine. That 1.5 turbo is pretty good. It feels much more powerful than they than they rated at. The only problem is that there's been reliability issues with that motor. So although I've never encountered it, um, I've heard a lot of people have had issues with this engine. So if you can get over that that concern. Um, and believe in in Honda for addressing it in, in later or newer models. Believe in Honda. Then I would re- I would recommend that. The Elantra I'm I I like a lot. It reminds me of the Corolla and the Civic, but it's more affordable and a little less premium, especially the interior. There's a new Elantra coming out which looks insane. It looks absolutely bonkers um, in terms of design, and I'm eager to see what that's like to drive. Um, and then there's the Corolla, which is a lot of fun to drive in terms of handling and steering response, but has a really lackluster engine. And um, that's my biggest criticism. And it's pretty expensive. And it does, I don't think it has nearly as much technology as these other cars. And then the Forte, I think I would, I would rank above the Corolla and above the Elantra. So I would say it, it is just a step below the Civic. So in terms of hatchback design, though, when you look at something like the Corolla hatch versus the um kia wood and which one do you prefer yeah that's a really tough question i think the the corolla hatch is the one i'm i'm leaning towards style wise i i do like the it looks like it prioritizes that hatchback design so it looks more practical it feels more practical um and spacious whereas the forte 5 looks like they wanted to hide the fact that it was a hatchback by like you know squishing the rear end and making it look a little bit more sleek so, final thoughts on the uh, Forte Five? I don't know. I, I'm I'm curious. I think the I, I I think there still is a place in the U.S. market for this product because I don't think the Soul um, is is I don't know. There's, I I personally don't think the Soul is very cool, and I think the Forte Five is a little what? bit cooler, I love a little bit the Soul. More... What do you not like about the Soul? The Soul. The whole ethos of the Soul is that it doesn't look like other vehicles it's a unique body style it's different right and i think that makes it stand out and going against against the grain while is can be seen as cool and stylish also makes it stand out it's a bit dorky sometimes because it's so boxy. wow wow and i'm not and i said before i don't really like the interior um quality of the car i think there's a lot of hard plastics in it um i don't like the touch and feel of the buttons and the the packaging that they have in the vehicle okay I mean, fair enough. I want to um, finish up the podcast with some pretty big news that occurred uh, this week. And I don't know how, how deep we'll get into it, but the Ford Bronco, the I've 2021. Never heard of it. <laughs> You've never heard of this thing? No. Okay. The Ford Bronco debuted as a Wrangler competitor. And in addition to it, um, for, uh, Ford has announced that they're kind of making a, um, a Bronco family. And by that they mean they've they've also released a non Bronco called the Bronco Sport, which is meant to compete. a non Bronco. <laughs> yeah, uh, because the Bronco we got the Bronco the Bronco Bronco like I don't know what to call it the Ford Bronco. Is, <laughs> we have the most Broncos per minute on uh, any podcast, I promise. Um, the Ford Bronco 
is built uh, specifically for this this mission of going off road. While the Bronco Sport seems like it uses a lot of uh, parts that are already in the in the Ford lineup, it feels a lot. It looks on paper like it's a lot like a uh, Escape. It honestly really- looks a lot like a first generation Escape stylistically. <laughs> and I stylistically. know we had this conversation before the podcast, and you think I'm crazy, but I think that it has that look. The Bronco Sport. Okay, so let's let's break it down. What do you want to start with, the Bronco or the Bronco Sport? I don't care. Let's mix it up. Okay, the Ford Bronco, we'll talk about the Bronco, which is what everybody I think is very excited about, has this really retro-esque design. It's available in two-door and four-door. Um, it has two motors, a turbo four and a twin-turbo V6, um, one making 270 horsepower and the other one making 310 pound, uh, horsepower. It is uh, equipped with... A seven-speed manual transmission with a crawler gear or a 10-speed automatic. And has all sorts of neat gimmicks that you find in Wranglers like removable doors, roofs, and um, a bunch of little like tie-downs and latch-downs for um, things to, to strap to your roof and whatnot. So it's also not, not an inexpensive vehicle. And that goes up to 60000 for the two-door and right. 64 for the four-door without options. So that's right away a two-door – the most expensive first edition two-door Bronco is like $14,000 more than the most expensive Wrangler. And if you even stick to like the top-tier wild track version of the Bronco, it's six grand more than the most expensive version of the Rubicon. It's dangerous to brand your product in relation to another product – and there's especially a- one as beloved and and has such a strong community as a Jeep Wrangler. Yeah. Right? So everyone's like, oh, this is the Wrangler killer and Ford's going to like eat their lunch. You know, a lot of people have tried to do that. <laughs> and history is littered with their bodies. <laughs> so um, I think Ford's decision to go its own way in a number of areas, like not have a solid front axle available. Yeah, that's um, a huge deal, I think. To have the glass, the, the, the frameless glass doors that can be stored inside the vehicle if you want to take your doors off. Uh, these, kind, these kinds of things, you know, give the Bronco more of its own personality. Um, the the uh, drivetrains are another very big departure from anything Wrangler has to offer. Although you can get a Turbo 4 in the Wrangler that's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and a hybrid, a hybrid Wrangler is coming and they just announced a – or sorry – Go ahead. I was gonna. I was thinking about the Gladiator. They announced a diesel for the Gladiator as well. Yeah, that doesn't matter now. No. Um, well, there's already a diesel in the Wrangler, so. Right. But uh, it's there's there's weird stuff about it too. Like, so you were say you can get hard top and soft top, but right? Only if you buy a four door. If you get a two door, it's hard top only, which seems strange to me because you know most convertibles are two doors, and it would seem to be the sportiest model. It would seem to be the one you'd want to have the top down the most. You're gonna have to be taking that hard top apart. And anyone who's taken the hardtop off a Jeep knows it's not easy or light. No. <laughs> so um, curious to see why they made that decision. Uh, there's so many different versions of the truck, which is yeah. gonna be, it's going to be great for Ford, and it's going to be confusing at the dealership. So I'm interested to see how that um, how that works out. Oh, by the way, remember earlier when I was talking about how 
there's there's different trim levels and there's a Bronco Sport. I'm totally wrong. I was looking at I was looking at Wrangler trim levels. Oh, there's a Wrangler Sport, but not yeah, a yeah. but not a Bronco. So the pricing is almost the same though. It's the same the price it's So there's still a lot of features that you do get. So it's it's important to talk about the Wrangler in in relation to the Bronco because there's a lot of features that we used to think are kind of um specific to the to the Wrangler but are now available on the Bronco. For example, those uh Dana 44 um axles and then this car will have that. This truck, this truck will have that. There's also only only in the rear, though. Uh, right. Then there's the dis- quick disconnecting stabilizer bars. There's electronic front and rear differentials, locking differentials. And then there's a they call it a trail turn assist by breaking the inside rear wheels. They can and applying wheels uh, applying power to the other. It'll help it kind of like pivot its way in tight trails. Wait, which what, about a, is, what about a hurricane turn? Yeah, it's not as quite as dramatic as that, but apparently it will be able to do that. Um, and then there's a, a couple of drive modes, which I think is really silly. I don't remember the Wrangler. Does the Wrangler have drive modes? No. I don't think no. so. It's no. made to go anywhere, right? Yeah. It doesn't need a drive mode for that. It, it, what it needs is a, is a pavement mode for it to feel more comfortable and confident. Yeah, we're off. never getting that, though. No. <laughs> Um, so the drive mode selector is called the GOAT modes, G-O-A-T, which doesn't stand for greatest of all time in this application, which is bizarre. Uh, it stands for go over any terrain. It has a couple of different, different conditions, including slippery in sand, mud, ruts, rock crawl, and then one that is curiously Baja. I don't know what that means. If that, what does that mean? It's what do you surprise, think? Sammy? <laughs> Baja, is that is the car laughing at you for trying something new in the in the drive? The car is collection? always laughing at somebody. You know, so, it also has drain plugs in the floor if you get too much water in it, which I think is kind of cool. That is nice. Um, so this is a big. I I really do like it. I think it looks pretty. Um, it looks really. It has a really good style to it. It is a bit expensive, and it's bold of Ford to try this because we saw GM. They re- reintroduced the Blazer name and the Trailblazer name, and those products are nothing like their previous iterations. But Br- Ford took that Bronco nameplate and really tried something um, really bold with it. And uh, I'm impressed with what they what they were able to do. They could have they could have phoned it in, and they didn't. I will say this though: the Bronco Sport. Um, yes. We haven't really talked a lot about it, except for my mistake from earlier. But uh, <laughs> it, it comes with a. It, it's essentially an escape drivetrain. You can get a one and a half liter three cylinder. Did you, did you mention this, Sammy? No, I didn't mention anything about the, the Bronco Sport, other than the fact that I think it is much of the escape yeah. here. Yeah, so right? 181 horsepower from that three-cylinder. You can get a two-liter with 245 horsepower. Uh, but the thing with this truck is I think it's more akin to like a um, a Cherokee than mm-hmm. than a Wrangler in any way. It's not, it's not a smaller Wrangler, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. So it's... It's going to have okay off-roading. I mean, the Cherokee in what's I can't remember the Trailhawk, Trailhawk edition is it's fairly competent, but you will get it stuck if mm-hmm. you work at it, and it's probably going to be the same for the Bronco Sport. Of course, Sammy and I haven't driven either of these yet, so it's very hard to make any kind of judgments about them. But just right. looking at the equipment list, uh, it, it's like a, it's got renegade styling with a Cherokee aspirations. I think. Right, I think that's a really good way to put it. There's also going to be – did you mention the, the other engine that's offered in the Bronco Sport? There's two engines here. Yeah, there's the two-liter that I mentioned and the one-and-a-half liter. Yeah, I really don't hope no one I, – I don't think they should bring that 1.5 around. I think the two-liter is the one that, that's really Well, impressive. they're doing it, Sammy, so I don't know what to tell you. Um, there's – it also has the goat modes. <laughs> 
and uh, I wonder how long this will, will last. You mentioned other automakers trying to chase Jeep in this kind of category. Um, I think the most recent ones I can remember are the Toyota FJ Cruiser, which is a favorite one of mine, um, but did not la- it only lasted one generation, although it's a, it's a continuation of former Land Cruisers, I guess. And yeah. then there's the Nissan Xterra. I think the Xterra, there's um, you could also argue that the Forerunner got into this area too. Oh, okay. It was a less hardcore vehicle in the 90s, right? And then, kind of as the 2000s came along, you, you started to get more and more equipment. And if you look at the suspension setup of the Forerunner, it's got the live axle out back, I believe, and, mm-hmm. and independent up front. So, it's again, it's kind of a similar, uh, very low tech version of, of kind of what Ford's offering with the Bronco. Right. So it'll be interesting to see if the Bronco goes this way as well. It only lasts one generation and, and doesn't doesn't stick around. But a lot of people online have been claiming that this is exactly what they were waiting for. I don't know what that means, but it that they're quite impressed. The reservations have apparently – the reservation website has apparently crashed under the load, um, which may be PR spin, but also might be pretty impressive if that many people are excited about it. Oh, if you're and, impressed by crashes, Sammy. But I'm not an ambulance chaser like you. Um, but I do think style-wise and, um, and and the basics in terms of the platform and the powertrain of this Bronco sound very good. And I really am impressed with the interior and the little details that they've come around with. It'll be very exciting to see if this can keep up with the, the real Wrangler, which has really etched a name for itself over time. Um, and I don't know if the Bronco can just come in and and snatch that kind of... Um, position away from it, that reputation away from Jeep. So, uh, Sammy, uh, if people wanted to get in touch with us and tell us how wrong we are about the Bronco or how right we are about the X7, how would they do that? Um, the, the very easiest way to do that is to come to our website, unnamedonmotivepodcast.com. Uh, once you're there, you can click on a contact contact form. You fill it out. You press submit, and it goes into our inbox. It's very easy. Additionally, you can reach out to either Ben or myself on Twitter. You can find Ben on Instagram, mostly. He's at Hunting, ben- Hunting Benjamin, and I'm on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And you can find on uh, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com all sorts of links to your favorite podcatcher if you want to subscribe to us on Google, Apple, um, iTunes, Spotify, CastBox, everything is there. And you can also listen to old episodes and find out how wrong we were back then, too. Or you can listen to future episodes if you find that section of the site and let us know what we're going to say next week. And what are we going to say next week? Well, Sammy, I plan on talking about the Ford Explorer ST, which I know is a vehicle you absolutely love. I really don't. Um, And I'll be talking about uh, two all-wheel drive sedans, the um, Legacy, of course, and the newest competitor, the Camry all-wheel drive. And if you feel like getting your fix of dragons, drugs, and underground raves, you can go to www.code-45.com, C-O-D-E-45.com, and check out my graphic novel. Thank you. Talk to you next week, Ben. Bye.